Hello and welcome to You Made Me Watch That, where two film studies professors aim to expand each other's cinematic knowledge one recommendation at a time. I am your co-host, Wickham Flanagan. And I am your co-host, Colleen Kennedy Carpot. This episode, we are discussing camp, and not like the kind of camp with the marshmallows and the tents. Wet Hot American Summer. That's, you know, that that's kind of campy. That's, that's, yeah. that's camp in all kinds of directions. Yeah, so much versions <laughs> of camp. Focusing anyway, yes. on my campy recommendation of Crank 2, and, um, High Voltage, excuse me, sorry. the subtitle. Sorry, very High important. Voltage. And my recommendation, Polyester. No John sub- Waters, 1982. No subtitle. No subtitle. Just Polyester. Just Polyester. It's all you need. Polyester Queen. <laughs> So camp, Colleen, I have it right in front of me, Susan Sontag's Notes on Camp. Yeah, tell, tell, the, Shall tell, I read the, a tell, passage? tell the people where you got the, this particular copy. I found it. In, in a puddle outside <laughs> a puddle, your office. A puddle outside my office. <laughs> I found it in Des- Divine's... In the gutter. Under, ...underwear drawer. <laughs> um, many things in the world have not been named, and many things, if they have ever been named, have never been described. One of these is the sensibility... A variant, a variant of sophistication, but hardly identical with it, that goes by the cult name of camp. I don't think it's a cult name anymore. I once think. upon People a time, call it camp. Once upon a time, there was a little thing called camp. Well, <laughs> it's a very, it's a very dramatic intro, uh, Susan. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, you may have heard of her. She's a great writer. Yeah, yeah, she's done yeah. some stuff. Yeah, she's. Um, essentially, what I got kind of out of this notes on camp thing, and I, we can talk about what it is. Is essentially, you know it when you see it, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Um, it's it's a real reception based sensibility. Yes, and that that is a very useful lens through which we can view camp. But it also complicates categorization, because yes. what I see through my own lens as camp is not necessarily what you see through your own lens. Hence, our very different camp. recommendations. Uh, uh, well, there's a lot more similarities yes. here as well. I think I think they do both fall into the category of camp. I am not going to go at any, either of these with, you know, category disputes, border disputes. No, I think both of these are very squarely in in the realm of camp. But I mean, it does raise the possibility that there are texts like opera, for example, like classical opera, like, you know, people singing in Italian on stage, like it's like that there is a camp potential in this, that is what resonates with some audiences. And it is Definitely not what resonant what resonates for others. Right. So there are certain kinds of texts where camp really is in the eye of the beholder, but that doesn't mean that even if you say, "Oh no, well, you know, Puccini is absolutely not camp," like you can't say that about somebody else's interpretation. Reception. It. Right. So it, it is complicated we, in that way. I think everyone can agree that Rocky Horror Picture Show is camp. I think so, yes. Well, I mean, what Sontag does is she distinguishes between naive camp. Yeah. And a pure camp, like we, deliberate we, camp. We are revisiting this. We did talk about this a little bit in relation to Jupiter Ascending. Yes, I guess we did. That's true. So, uh, but I, I, I referenced in terms of deliberate and unintentional, like uh, my example from Steimer, my my new Hollywood teacher, was uh, wedding photos. Right. And that is very much in the eye of the beholder, because if you're a participant in the wedding, you're probably not going to feel the same way. But if you're looking at this, you know, you know, an adult, just beautiful romanticism on a beach and flowing gowns and all this stuff, um, it can be perceived as intentionally, you know, it, it can be perceived ironically. 
Can be, yes. 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 And um, and that would be unintentional. And then something like Eddie Redmayne's performance mm-hmm. in Jupiter Sending is intentional. Very deliberate cap. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was what I think we, uh, not to revisit that, but I think that was the, the comparison I used. So it occurs to me, Colleen, hmm. I, I think I really like camp. I think I'm way into it. I think I'm 100% on board. See, that doesn't surprise me at all. And yet, and yet, when you told me you had not seen any movie by Baltimore's finest, the Pope of Trash, the Prince of Puke, um, he has gone by many names. Um, He has a nice mustache. John Waters. Yeah. When you told me you'd never seen any film by John Waters, I thought you need to call up your film school and be like, I'm giving this degree back. I know. And you need to totally start from scratch because something, somebody somewhere, lots of people, lots of places have failed you. As you put rather tastelessly, uh, you have popped my John Waters cherry. And um, (laughs) I think that- He would be so proud of that. I think he would be very proud of that um, analogy. I- I, uh, I am very happy. I'm very thankful to have that experience uh, or now to have had gone through polyester. I feel like a changed man. Oh, good. I feel liberated. <laughs> Smelling um, is believing. I'm sorry I didn't have an odorama card to give you. Um, was that a thing when polyester came out? Yes. If you went to see polyester oh in 1982 God. in the theaters... Uh, or if you bought the Criterion disc, uh, and probably still, if you buy the Criterion disc, it comes with the cards. I'm going to order that right now. <laughs> Holy crap. Well, uh, the, I was worried because the, the he mentions at the beginning this very, very comical scientist, yes, man. Yes, yes, yes. Um, hey, I'm going to do all the voices. I'm going to do all the voices. A little bit like Rocky Horror. Come yeah, yeah. And that wouldn't have been so far off of Rocky Horror's initial this release This is either. the nose. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, it is called by many names. Um I'm sorry. If I do voices, I yeah, we'll be here all day. Okay, I'm so, um, no, no, no. My point is, they, they he mentions that they did not put numbers. Uh, he, he mentions we're going to put numbers on the screen when different smells yes, come, and yes. the numbers did not show up. So I was oh concerned. really? Yeah, on the version I watched, I watched. Oh I, no! I watched it on Amazon Prime. Oh, and the, none of the numbers ah. seemed to show up. The numbers showed up in the beginning, but not throughout the film. That's too bad. But I got, I got when the smell. No, of course, yes, it's smell of vision. I mean, it, smelling Divine's is Divine's performance is so subtle; it's hard to tell <laughs> when she's smelling something. Um, right? Yeah. But uh, no. But anyway, so for for those of you who might not understand what on earth we're talking about, John Waters. Um, yes, John Waters' polyester was quote unquote filmed in odorama, yes. which was his gimmick that he added onto this film for its theatrical release and so yes you would be given a card with 10 scratch and sniff areas and there there is still in a lot of these versions i'm shocked that yours didn't have this actually the numbers will flash on the screen and it'll say like numbers time to scratch off number six and you scratch off numbers and it's something absolutely disgusting in most cases i think the first one is a rose that's the well, she's she smells like the adulterous sex that yes. her husband is having yeah and it's it's yeah anyway. but then it's like but then sometimes it's like uh air freshener and yeah yeah i mean some of them are more benign than others but it's all just sort of yeah, it's it's introducing the olfactory. Alcohol probably sense. is one of them. Probably. I don't remember exactly, but it's yeah, it's 
it's a it's an interesting gimmick. And even just to have that in the film, even if you don't have the card, I'm I'm shocked they took that but out. But I kinda liked it as like an avant garde meta thing to have yeah. at the beginning for no apparent reason. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, it's you could sort speaking, of you get the idea without having to do it, but yeah, the other thing is of, it's it's I mean, you know that some of these smells are gonna be absolutely disgusting. Yeah. And yet if you have this card in front of you, are you gonna forgo that experience? I tried to recreate all the experiences while I was watching it. Oh, like God. I drank oh. a bunch of alcohol, well. I, I shot some trick or treaters. Yeah. <laughs> I did a bunch of stuff. No, I uh, ran off with Mink Stole. Yes, um, I had a, had half of a cake. That was oh. another one of my favorite <laughs> things because because it, it was one of those things where I was shouting at the screen like <laughs> they're literally just cut the cake in half, <laughs> um, which was great. But I wanted to mention right from the get go after the Odorama bit, if we could go chronologically for a second. Um, this is on a very short list of movies where the the theme music is talking about the movie that you're watching. Right. Which is is one of my favorite things. It's in Black <laughs> Dynamite. Um, Black Dynamite, he is going to visit someone and it's like a funky, you know, song from that era of like, gonna check on Brian's apartment, not sure what's going on in there. <laughs> and... and uh, and in this, it's it's uh, it's it's like rolling trees, little houses. We're going inside the house now. What's at the top of the stairs? I I uh, I could tell this movie was for me uh, almost immediately. Um, and then we see Divine, who yeah. is our polyester queen. Mm-hmm. I had not experienced Divine before. Well, if you haven't watched John Waters, yeah, it's that's you have to do a bit of digging. Otherwise, I think I mean. Divine left a, a very big mark on on the culture at the time, and I realize also a now disco career. I want to be uh, honestly. I want to be respectful. I, honestly, Divine is probably the fact that he's calling himself Divine is yes. deliberately a silly kind of stage name. Yes, um, I'm going to probably refer to Divine as a she from now on. Now that pronouns yeah. are in the vernacular. Yes, um, I don't it's know. Hard what, to I don't know what backwards. he would prefer. Yes. Yeah. I mean, what what I know, what I for my research for this, since I've seen polyester a couple of times, um, I didn't rewatch the film, but I did sort of look around for other videos, and what I found was John Waters and Divine on David Letterman in the early eighties. Divine as Divine as Divine, yes, um, and I, that's the thing. I mean, what what Divine would say is that these are my work clothes, and yeah. the best thing is just to take them off. So really, like Divine was a character playing other characters, and. Yes, this, you know, Divine was not trans. Divine no. was a drag queen. <laughs> so I think in the persona it's probably appropriate to use she pronouns, but And I want to be I want to be very clear and even in the context of artifice and camp and divine as this sort of drag performance. Like it's a really good performance. Like like she knows exactly how to dial in the melodramatic hysteria, but also I felt bad for her. Yeah, in the context of the film, I was, I felt. Uh, to be clear, we're talking about Harris Glenn Miss Misted Middle Milstead, um, better known by his stage name Divine. Yes, uh, American actor, state singer, and drag queen, uh, performer. Um, and uh, but like the voice. Mm-hmm. Reminded me, and the, the look a little bit with the the eyes reminded me a little bit of Tony Curtis from Some Like It Hot. Because ah. Tony Curtis, Jack Lemon is kind of just doing his voice, just mm-hmm. slightly more feminine. But Tony Curtis has this sort of like, "Hello, I'm, I'm a woman. I'm Tony Curtis," and the <laughs> uh, and Divine also similarly has like, 
honey, what are you doing? This kind sometimes. of sometimes, <laughs> yeah, like like you said, it dials in and sort of cuts out sometimes, but it depends on the. Situation. I, I completely, yeah. I completely bought it. Okay. I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was one hundred percent with Divine. I like it's some comical bits where she's like. Um, pleasuring herself in a bed, and it's just this over-the-top, like, undulating in a bed. Um, but for the most part, it's uh, the story. I don't even know what story there is. It's a dysfunctional family. It's a very sort of Lynchian version of suburbia. Lynchian version of Douglas Sirk is really what it is. I Fantastic. <laughs> yes. And uh, to, to refer back to Pearl, maybe that's the reason why I like Pearl, <sighs> very similar very, very similar. At least you didn't talk about Pearl in our political films episodes. No. That's the, okay. No, no. I'll right. mention her again right. several other times. Uh-huh. Um, but that's very Douglas Sirk. Um, very saturated colors. Yes. Um, uh, quintessential American family uh, who the father happens to own a pornographic movie theater. Because <laughs> um, every, you know, American family has, has that. has to face local protests. And, um, <laughs> and I, miss, I miss my calling um, as being the delinquent son, I I saw myself as the delinquent son. I, we have done Dexter. home Dexter. We have done home movies in my family where I've not played a delinquent son, but I've played a, a son in a delinquent family. Um, I had a character. I don't know if we need to get into this. Named uh, Robbie Mayhew, um, and my father would leave me in the. It was. I don't know if the humor would really translate beyond our family, but my father would abuse, like, beat me with a belt, and he would leave me in the fireplace. And my mom was bedridden, and she would play eagle songs on a guitar. And so I'd go, "Mom, mom, he's get, he's attacking me." And she'd go, "Let's let's sing another eagle song." Again, I don't know how the humor is going to translate, but um, my point is, I saw myself as Dexter. Not as like a foot fetishist, uh, foot stomper, serial killer, whatever he is, <laughs> but just as that character, I would have had a lot of fun playing that character. Just every time it cuts to Dexter, he's always like undulating and looks strung out on bath salts and um, and that glue, wasn't he? Glue, huffing glue. Yeah, and this would be pre bath salts. And... Yes, this, um, this and, was still and, the eighties. And Boo Boo or Baba or BB, Bobo. no BB. Oh, oh, the the daughter oh. is constantly jamming to music that isn't there um all of these like just really absurd touches um i really enjoyed and divine is sort of the emotional anchor where yes everyone is torturing her and yes. she and she has to be melodramatic and and mm-hmm. sympathetic and, and sympathetic and yeah exactly and i think i think she pulls it off yes and john waters is absolutely throwing everything in the kitchen sink at her in this movie and Yet still shows the sympathy, and that right there is also the essence of camp. Like you're really yeah. just cranking everything up both ways. Who is the egg woman? Oh, Edith Massey. Edith Massey. Edith Massey is more overtly like I just love this woman and her whole vibe, <laughs> and I'm just going to put her in the movie. Yes, like there's yes, a real. Yes. My point is, I think there's a real talent and and finesse to Divine that maybe is not in Edith Massey, but by design. Yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, it, it is the, the the combination of naive and deliberate yes, camp yes. through performance that I think John Waters really excels at and I think really perfected in polyester. And Pink Flamingos probably as well. Probably Pink Flamingos, which I've not seen. Yes. And I have to say, I, I, I don't, More I'm not familiar. Stuff. Yes, exactly. And polyester is really the pivot in John Waters' career towards 
you know, I don't want to say mainstream stuff. I would never call anything he's done mainstream. Hairspray ended up yes. sort of becoming mainstream, especially in its remake, which, you know, if you want to get into that, we could. But um, yes, polyester is John Waters basically kind of realizing in some way that you know, shock will only take you so far. Right. Just saying, OK, suddenly we have no limits on anything. Let's just represent whatever we want as be as gross as we want. Like, that also can get boring. I mean, like having some kind of structure is necessary in order to do something different, even if the structure is something you're pulling from, in this case, a bunch of mid-century melodrama. Um, so I think that's something that's sort of a, re- a revelation in John Waters' filmography. And he follows this up then with his other hits. And I mean, this is when I would have seen John Waters for the first time. Um, shout out to my friend's parents when I was, you know, eight, 10 years old, because I would have seen Hairspray at slumber parties. I would have seen Crybaby at slumber parties. Like there were definitely- You didn't watch Polyester at slumber parties. I did not. No, Polyester is rated R. There's a whole lot of like, okay. not for children sort of stuff. But like Hairspray is a PG yeah. movie yeah, yeah. from John Waters, which I'm sure at the time was just like- you know, the people who knew John Waters were probably going, wait, what? And, and the people who didn't know John Waters were like, oh, John Waters, like sort of discovering this. Uh, and we talked a little bit already about um, Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. You know, Pee Wee's Playhouse was on television at the time. So you've got John Waters in the films and Pee Wee's Playhouse on TV. So there was this real like camp moment yeah. in a way for kids yeah. in the late 80s. And so I came up in that era when, yeah, I mean, my mom was watching Pee Wee's Playhouse, like just without the kids, whatever. Like she was into the show. Um, the, but I mean, this was at friends' houses with the John Waters movies. But I saw all of this stuff as a kid, except for, yeah, polyester came later. <laughs> but it's but by that point, it's a familiar aesthetic. Like, okay, I see what he's doing. I've seen this other stuff. See what he's sending up. Um, yeah. And, and, and yeah, like the, the, the genre structures really end up giving this this element of criticism that hits in, in many ways a lot harder than just the overt shock of his earlier movies. I was trying to, as, as you were talking about, I was trying to think of like when, when camp was introduced to me, certainly Pee Wee's Big Adventure, not not the Playhouse show. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sontag mentions like classic Hollywood films like Maltese Falcon, yes. even Casablanca, like not, not everything with Humphrey Bogart, but just in general, <laughs> like movies that, and in, in going back to them kind of revel in their artifice, um, mm-hmm. just the the classic femme fatale sort of overdoing that. We talked about Out of the Past somewhat yes. recently. That kind of yeah. sidesteps the camp a little bit. <laughs> Robert Mitchum, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Like, um, if you look at Mary Astor, I think is her name in Maltese Falcon, she's doing a very sort of performative kind of I'm deceptive and attractive thing in that film. Um and at one point, Humphrey Bogart like calls her out on her performance, essentially. Um, so maybe that was it. Also, I mean, I've mentioned a, a drinking game. Uh, Avengers. Um, Avengers is 60s British camp. Oh, right. Camp. That Avengers. That is very campy as well. Yes. There are British character actors who are just showing up and having a really fun time and not really mm-hmm. caring how ridiculous their character sounds or is or because uh, they're written that way. So, yeah, I think... Camp for children is something that we can sponsor, um, kind of just enjoying, like, children recognizing that the person pretending to be this this way is in on the joke, essentially. Which, I, again, I don't know, we, we can, muddying probably what Sontag is um, doing, or what she's referring to, mm-hmm. but um, maybe that just that, 
recognizing irony as a kid is something that is, I think, inherently important. Well, it, it, I think to our to our development, thing, Colleen. I, I think, but I'm not sure that that the irony is there to be recognized by the kids, and that's another thing about Camelot. Do kids accept Pee Wee Herman as camp? <laughs> That's a good question. I'm not sure about yeah. that because I think it, it, you you have to have this sort of ability to separate what's going like what's what's superficial from what has this sort of depth to it. And like when you're that young, you don't have the depth. You're you're just not well read well, it's enough, hard to or know. watched enough. Yeah, and, and Pee-wee's like, Big Adventure. How much depth is there, really? But there, there can be, though. I mean, it's it's just. <laughs> Like, like what, polyester, yes, definitely. Yes, yes, yes. But, I mean, yes. But Pee Wee, maybe, maybe that's part of it is that there, it can be appreciated in a multitude of ways, and it exactly. can also be a movie for kids. Exactly, you know? exactly. That's the thing. Like it, on the one hand, it is. It can be just a kids' movie, and let's not think anymore about it. And yeah. then on the other hand, holy crow, there's a whole lot of other stuff that we could put into this. And what we're putting into it is this reading of that surface. It's a kids' movie, but. And and that's where all of this gets folded in. And it's important, I think, to note that Sontag is talking about camp in the 60s. That's when she writes Notes on Camp. Right. So it is a classic text. It is still the go-to text if you're going to expand on it, refute it, whatever it is you're doing with camp. You know, Sontag still has to be there somehow or else you're just not doing your proper homework. Right. Um, I I know uh, in Slate, uh, Slate magazine, there was a more recent sort of response to Sontag, extension of Sontag. There were multiple articles across several weeks. Um, And I thought it was an interesting addition. But even then, it didn't quite, you know... Just, I'll just go back to the Sontag. <laughs> Ultimately, like that's going to be more edifying uh, in the long run. But uh, but yeah, it's you can have camp performances in an otherwise totally Here's, straightforward movie. It's well, just, yeah, that, there are elements of camp that can be you know, kind of woven in this way. Now, polyester top to bottom is camp. Here's what I will say about camp yeah. in the context of polyester, in the context of Crank 2 High Voltage, in the Which context we will get of, to. of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. And even in sort of certain extent, Jupiter Ascending, it's a hard thing to maintain. Like my my dad had an expression. Uh, I don't know if he got this from somewhere, but terminal irony, hmm. where and I think that's the genius of polyester to a certain extent is that you're able to invest in it. But there is a moment where you're just sort of like, okay, I got it. Like like camp can be a little bit overwhelming, I should say. And I hmm. think Rocky Horror Picture Show, at least for me, I know a lot of people love that movie. We've talked about like the. The viewing experience and yes. being doing it with friends and not being sober or whatever, <laughs> preferably. Bringing what you need to throw. Exactly. Yes. Um, that to me, it, it, the joke goes on. I can't, I can't, I can't take it at a certain point. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I, and I craved like a divine or someone to, to kind of, and you mentioned, we were talking about a little bit before, we we're doing the podcast before the podcast, but like... Um, High voltage losing its way in the, in the, about the halfway point about the halfway yeah. point, and that's obviously a way more momentum driven movie yeah, than something yeah, like polyester. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But polyester, you're just sort of like after a while, you're like, yes, like it. Imagine if that movie went on for another fifteen minutes. No, like you would just, you just like it, it's it's very exhausting the yes. the artifice yeah. after a while. It, it, but it's it's a tight ninety minutes, isn't yes. it? Even less or than even that, less, like yes. eighty six minutes. That's yes. And the ending yes. is so abrupt. You're just like, oh, okay, I guess yeah. the movie's over. Um, yeah. But uh, but uh, yeah, or something like uh, where you're saying the camp interwoven, like Avengers. You know, even if in its most campy, it's like a 50 minute TV show, right? 
um, like campy performances in these classical yeah. Hollywood films. Uh, Eddie Redmayne is this one campy right. You have these bolt. moments of camp, yes, and yes, it's interspersed with other stuff that does not necessarily give that sort of jolt of camp. So I, I do, I do. Maybe this is just me, but I do find camp to be slightly. I love it, but I find it. Yeah, it has to be supplemental. It's well dosed, yes. basically. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Dosage is really, really important because it can. It, you can just. You can just get overwhelmed by it. Yeah, but, but I, um, I think, yeah, but John Waters is excellent at... He can dial it, yeah. He dials it and also... And he, surprises you with it? Yes. <laughs> and that's the thing. He can sustain it for a whole feature. And and you are, you're just wondering, like, what's happening next and where is it coming from? And and it's, it's just, it's shocking to me that it took this long for him to use genre. I just love the... I just was reminded, like, like the coming down from it. So Divine has this awful time. Everything's going terribly. And then her children come back. And the, uh, Dexter's like, I've become an artist. And he just has a bunch of pictures of <laughs> shoes. And the, like, like it's a different it's a different register of camp at yes. that point. And yes. then the daughter is like a hippie or something. And she has, I'm into weaving. Macrame. Macrame. Macrame, and she strangles <laughs> someone later with it, and just the the yeah, just finding the different different flavors of camp and and understanding mm-hmm. like in the context of a story structure, yes, where the yes, camp yes, would, yes. would get where it goes, how it develops, how you can twist it in on itself. I like how by the end the whole house is just destroyed, like without any sort of justification. Like cops are running in and destroying things. Um, it's yeah, the trick or treater bit. Really threw me for a loop. <laughs> Do you remember this part? No. Not so randomly, a mummy and a, someone else show up and they go trick or treat. And Divine is going through a whole lot at this point. And <laughs> Divine is like, I didn't have any candy. I'm sorry. Or was this the, I think, or was this the grandmom? Anyway, and essentially the trick or treaters go, Well, I'm so sorry you didn't have candy. And they just start running in and trashing the place and they yeah. pull out a gun and shoot. And it just goes from zero to, uh, you know, 50, um, uh, 200 in a matter of seconds. Mm-hmm. And it, it, that level of surprise of yeah. just like, Oh, I didn't know the scene was going to devolve into <laughs> violence from a bunch of people dressed as mummies. Um, that was that was very charming. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, in general, polyester is very charming, and and yeah. it was like a different flavor. Like Lynch, you know, I'm a big fan of. So to know that John Waters is a big fan of yes. Lynch and yes. taking something yep. like Blue Velvet and doing something different with it, mm-hmm. um, I think I like this more than Blue Velvet. Actually, <gasps> I'm not a big Blue. Ve- I, I'm I'm a little that's more minor li- Lynch for you, huh? Yeah, but I understand that that's a that's not a popular opinion, right. but. Um, it's very similar. It, 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 casting sort of strange character actors to deliver lines weirdly just because David Lynch likes them. It's yeah. a very John Waters. Yeah. Yes, yes. God, let's, let's just all hail Divine's line readings oh, yeah. throughout yeah. everything. Just yeah, yeah. pitch, pitch perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do, it, do the expulsion line. But surely expulsion is not the answer. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. You're yeah, getting it's better. sort of this thing at the back of the throat. <laughs> um, it's very it's very much what, kind of what Tony, Tur- Tony Curtis does. It feels like yeah. Tony Curtis is just putting on a, he's like a new persona. Yes. Every time, every time Divine says, cuddles. 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 What is their cuddles. last name? Fish, Fishborn? Fishpaw. Fishpaw. Fran- Fishpaw. Francine Fishpaw. And they have yes. a little sign out front called the Fishpaws. Um <laughs> No, it, it's delightful, and um, yeah, camp. 
that that, well, that I think polyester, and I, I'll see pink flamingos probably at some point. I know that has more shocking stuff in it, but I I, I think John Waters I think will find that has found that balance and um, mm-hmm. of of how to maintain camp all the way through. Yep. Without being too without, uh, yeah yeah without overstaying his welcome. Yes, and finding these different levels, and and I think it is a lot to do with divine being sympathetic, as I said. Yes, and um, and so I look forward to checking out more of their. Where do you think work. you're going to go next? Probably pink flamingos. I know that's oh, okay. on a lot of lists. Yeah, it you is. Know? Um, and I know I know what to expect in terms of the shock value of it. Yeah, and I know what to expect from the John Watersness of it. Yeah, so there I'm you excited. go. Okay. And are you going to check out <laughs> the other filmic? Masterpieces of Neville Dean and Taylor. <laughs> Neville Dean and Taylor. Yes, we got to get to our other recommendation. Oh my god! Um, crank to I was so high voltage. And in, in retrospect, you were so worried about this. Yeah, recommending it. You you apologized as you recommended it to me. Well, I watched the first after I recommended. It, I'm like, what happens in that movie? And I watched the first because <laughs> I remember loving it when I'm like 15 or something. Right. Which this... I think speaks to the movie. <laughs> That that sounds about right. A very sophisticated, intelligent, debonair fifteen-year-old, I should say, about myself. Um, very, very refined film tastes at fifteen, and uh, I just watched the opening, and like four different people get things shoved in their butts within the first. Oh five yeah, minutes. yeah. Um, there's some open heart surgery. Um, yes, I couldn't watch that bit. <laughs> yeah, well, he's like he's like putting a cigarette. I the, know, I I couldn't watch. And that Jason bit. Satham's like, what is going on with my heart? Um, <laughs> And uh, a lot of Asian stereotypes. And, oh, yeah. Well, we can talk about that. And and so I, and then I and then I thought, oh no, what have I done? Um, <laughs> and, then, and then I came back to it later, and I watched more pivotal scenes, like the ending, which I love, and the horse race scene. And I'm like, okay, all right, I have not, uh, or the strip club scene. I'm like, okay. I made a I made a good call here. Yeah. There's some sophistication here. Yeah. So so yeah, that would also that would also be why you're wearing your red hot pants and uh, electrical tape. Yes, that's why my electrical tape and what are they <laughs> dancing to? The Stroke. Oh, uh, no, no, take the rhythm. I don't remember. Amy Smart. Amy Smart. Uh, hats off to you. <laughs> she knew exactly what she signed up for. Oh no, Everyone totally. Everyone knew what they Every, signed up for. And a whole lot of people wanted in on this. Yes. My gosh, can we talk about the cast of Crank Two for sure. a second? Sure. <laughs> Yes. Okay. We've got your Amy Smart, as you mentioned. Yes. Of course, Jason Statham, who we'll get to. Yes. But I'm talking about Dwight Yoakam. Dwight Yoakam, uh-huh. the country singer Dwight Yoakam, uh-huh. as this very like that's amazing. Maynard <laughs> James Keenan of Tool is the guy with the dog with the collar who keeps zapping with the collar. Like that's amazing. <laughs> Maynard James Keenan is in this movie. I just about lost it. Um, uh, what's it? Chester Fra- Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park. Is, really? Yes. I is the one know. that he's like rubbing against at the horse races. Well, I didn't know. It's I didn't just... know a, a person from Lincoln Park was in this. Yes. Okay. Yes. You're you're picking up on a lot I... more. Obviously, David Carradine in his probably Obviously his David last Car- role. In, in really close awful. To, yeah. Um, John DeLancey, Trek, uh, yes. the Next Generation's Q, is the news anchor. The very sarcastic news anchor. Very sarca- which, wonderfully done. But it it just, it's amazing. It's Glenn really, Howerton, really... apparently, from Always Sunny. Glenn Howerton is up. in it for like two seconds. Efren Ramirez is in this movie. Um, Efren Ramirez is, um, what's the name of his character? Um 
He's the one who shows up. I don't think I wrote the character. Um, there's a lot of uncredited people, too. There's a whole lot of... But he's credited. He's got a lot of lines. But he was Pedro in Napoleon Dynamite. Yes, 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 yes. Which I'm sitting thinking, I have seen this guy. What was he in? And I find Napoleon Dynamite and is known for it. I'm going, oh, my God. Also, Casa de mi Padre was the same year as Napoleon Dynamite, and he's in that. That was also fun. Yeah. Um, so anyways. And he, he has, he's a twin brother of a character who died in the first film, but oh, they just bring him back. I I'm see. pretty sure that's what happened. Corey Haim. Okay, yes, it was you in there. You mentioned Corey yes. Haim. Ba yes. Ling, who, yes. who had a brief acting stint i don't know if she's still in. she's stuff. still doing stuff okay. but I, not in hollywood i think she's okay. kind of working in china and, quite a lot i think judging by her filmography uh david carradine as the illustrious character poon dong and this I, gets it's... to this gets to my <laughs> point and this is my this is how i'm framing crank too mm-hmm. camp obviously we'll talk about it we'll talk about jason statham it to me it feels like a good embodiment and this is what i was sort of into because right around this time i think it's 2016 um uh, Grindhouse released with, um, which is a Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino. Twenty sixteen, collab- something like that. It was earlier than that. Two thousand six, maybe. Two thousand six, maybe. <laughs> it was either yeah, no, no, no. I think you got the wrong decade. Excuse me. Two thousand nine. I don't know what I'm talking about. Hold on. Grindhouse. Anyway, I was into this stuff. Two thousand seven. I'm yes, so sorry. Two thousand seven. So, okay, thank that you sounds for, about right. Thank you for correcting me. I also said uh, Bill Winston in a in the previous episode. It's Ray Winston. <laughs> I always notice these little faux pas in my in my podcasting. But anyway, um, I was way into like the artifice of filmmaking in the context of hypersexuality and hyperviolence. For obvious, yes. very superficial excess. excess. For obvious, yeah. very sort of superficial, fun, you know, rousing, you know, teenager, whatever. But also it was this pivotal moment for me where I realized that movie violence and like movie depictions of sex were inherently fraudulent and that i should not take any of it seriously like seriously for me like i I remember growing up and watching like not wanting to watch rated r movies because i thought it would somehow corrupt me as a person i don't know what the hell i was what i don't know what i was dealing with i couldn't wait to see rated r movies (laughs) i don't know seriously because i think like i'd seen like i was scared that i would see something you know traumatizing Uh, like like mm. gore you know Mm. like all of this Two real stuff. And then you watch Planet Terror, which involves like people getting ripped apart and zombies and nonsense. Um, and I'm just like, oh, this is fun. And I think Kill Bill also played into that as well. I also watched mm. Kill Bill around this time. And C- Crank 2 was part of that. And I couldn't help but see Crank 2 as being just kind of a contemporary exploitation film. It's exploitative of everyone involved. It, it, it's exploitative <laughs> of, of race and 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 sexuality and and at different ethnicities and and the thing about it is it's not meant to be it's a joke it's not meant to be yeah. taken seriously no and and to me the reveling in the exploitative nature of um like a like a shootout at a strip club like yeah. just just going for it as tarantino would say as we found out. Yeah, we found out on um, one of the co-directors' IMDb pages, I guess. That Tarantino is quoted as saying, Crank 2 is the Gremlins 2 of action movies. Um, Which, whatever that means. Well, it's, it's, it's again, you, it's, a, it's, it's sort of this, this meta-acknowledgement. And polyester, you know, I think camp is inherent to this of... Oh, yeah. We know what we're doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we're going to crank everything. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, 
Way, way, way up. And I should say, you did not watch Crank 1 in preparation I did for this. Not so watch you were completely Crank lost in the story. The well, story no, is so I mean, intricate and detailed. No, you can you really... sum both of them up <laughs> with like a sentence. So it, it is also an, an extremely high concept sort of movie, and it carries through the whole way. I don't think I need to watch Crank 1. I, I mean, you're... maybe you're more interested in it now. Maybe you really uh, well, want a backstory of Chef Chelios. Um, which is an inherently ridiculous name. I just want to mention like your your point about um, kind of the race exploitation. Yeah. What I found really interesting is it's like, yes, there's there there are these stereotypes that it's yes. that it's um, cashing in. You know, Statham gets called white boy a lot. Um, but there's I mean, a part in the first movie where he goes into an African-American bar and he says, who <laughs> wants to beat on some white meat? I think he has some line like that. He just wants to get beat up. Anyway, they probably look at it like <laughs> <laughs> there is a bit. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen Crank One. But yeah, anyway. yeah. But, uh, but I mean, still, like you go to the tr- the horse race sequence, you go to those tracks, and you look at the stands. <laughs> I mean, yes, there's the, all this other stuff going on, which I'm sure we'll get into. But like, you look at the stands, like that actually looks like you'd imagine L.A. to be, right? Like, in terms of its makeup, it's not a sort of it doesn't get whitewashed ultimately. No, no, no. no. Like so, the flip side to that is that there is this sort of generally diverse representation sort of in the background people kind of live in their lives the, the, with he, all this ridiculousness going on he That's... drives past some uh, hispanic fellows who give him a jump from their very nice souped up car oh yes and that as you know my, my dear husband is going to make a, an appearance in, in this part of the podcast because that, that was the point where he was abandoning his um, guys in meeting movie that he was watching on his own laptop and looking over at my screen where I'm watching Crank 2 he watches Jason Statham give himself a jump with that car and he says this is a good movie <laughs> it is it's a very and that was the first time he said it yes Second time he said this was Amy Smart as the stripper, you know, doing her star entrance as only Crank 2 can do it. Um, He looks over again and says, Colleen, who directed this groundbreaking work of cinema? (laughs) Go back to your men in meetings movie. (laughs) I asked if you wanted to watch this and you rolled your eyes at me. (laughs) So then the third time (laughs) that he said this is a good movie. (laughs) is <laughs> when Maynard James Keaton had uh, the the dog call. This is a this is a good movie. He said, and then finally, as the racing sequence started, he goes, "Oh, this is a really good part." And by this point, the laptop <laughs> is closed. He's fully invested in Crank Two. We get to the end of the racing scene, and about two minutes after that, he wanders off to bed. <laughs> so, so well, he sort of left at a good point. There. Exactly, but that that to me is my only issue with Crank Two. Is it really just after the racetrack sequence? Yeah, it just it. Like the momentum just drops. There's a bit of like, like I mean, there's fill in stuff. It's sort of like the the plot sort of has clear. to pivot to something. Both that movies wasn't there. are structured around the notion of moving fast because yes. in the first movie he gets injected with, as they call it, I think Chinese poison, and he has to keep <laughs> Which isn't his racist at all. No, 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 of course not. <laughs> and he has to keep his. Uh, there's some interesting like. Never mind. That's a different discussion. I was going to say there's some interesting racial stuff in. Z, but we're not on Z. No. Um, but uh, there's a he's Chinese poison, and he has to keep his heart rate up. Right. So it's a matter of doing adrenaline junkie things. Yeah, and then they yeah. just remove all pretense in the second movie, where it's just an electrical heart, and he's a superhero, and he has to charge <laughs> himself with electricity. Yes. So the, the momentum and uh, just infusing Jason Statham with this need to do a thing constantly. <laughs> 
is part of it. <laughs> well, and some of it ends up towards the ridiculous, right? I mean, yes, he charges. I don't know what you're talking he about. He jumps himself with the car. Yes. Which is kind of the most obvious solution. Like you give yourself and a battery jump. And that's the iconic jump. image of him putting the cable yes, on his on tongue. Yes, on his tongue. And the other, I think, goes on his um, left nipple, nipple, if I'm not yes. mistaken. So anyways, he gives himself a jump with the car. Eventually, right before the the, the whole racetrack sequence, he's like rubbing up against <laughs> Chester Bennington because... He needs the static needs electricity. The static le- because Dwight Yoakam told him that that will generate <laughs> enough static electricity to keep his battery running. And it just... Like, There's a bunch of diagrams that pop up of how the battery works just, with the, the skin transfers. It's, it's, the... Yeah, I mean, so it just it, it and and Statham. Shall we yes. talk about? Let's Jason talk about Statham. Statham. As Neville Dean and Taylor put it, they said something to the effect of, "Well, we'll put Jason Statham as it. He'll probably make some money if he's in it." <laughs> They're very nonchalant about. It. We like him. He can make money. I don't think Crank 2 did particularly gangbusters at the box office. No. We, we, well, box office is a different... Okay. Um, if you want to, If we want to do that first, we can Jason do that Jason Statham's first. very pretty consistent about box office, though. I, I mean, he makes money, but yeah, I think the second one kind of didn't really didn't really match their expectations. The, the box office for the first one, um, on a $12 million budget, um, got... 10.5 back on opening weekend alone. So the first crank kind of was not super. Sort of a sleeper. Made, yeah. But yeah. The worldwide gross on cr- the first crank in 2006 was about 43 million. So that's, you know, more yeah. than triple the budget. Not much marketing or any, like, no. it was like a word of mouth. Yes. Sort of thing. It was just this genre thing. Yeah. Like, we're in peak DVD here as well with yeah. this late 2000s. Sort of a John so. Wick esque. I think, I think, and honestly, like, especially seeing as Crank 2 came out in 2009, it's almost like, like John Wick would have looked at this and went, we, Mm. we kind of don't want to do that. (laughs) It's sort of a, it's a lesson in what not to do. They just went all out for the sequel, left him with really not much else to do. Maybe the sequel, I mean, it just. Yeah. Where'd he go? There was thoughts of a Crank 3. In I mean, 3D, uh, of course, 3D. That's you, where you take it. There's an after credits scene in Crank Two. Did you watch it? Uh, the bloopers. Well, he opens his eyes at the end. He's he's wrapped in bandages. It's very much like the first Crank, where oh, I did. He, see, yes, he and falls it's all off. Like, yes, yes, and yes. he opens his eyes. And he opens his eyes. Crank yes. Three. Come on, where where are you all? Make it. Um. Yeah. Well. Anyway. Um. So it won't make any money. Well, that's the problem because yeah. the estimated budget they got bigger money to make Crank Two. 20 million and then the worldwide intake was 34 million so they didn't even match the first one's global box office so they made their money back but it wasn't yeah wasn't inspiring enough to 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 do a follow-up but jason statham um back to jason statham himself man man jason statham the Uh, man how how, how, some might argue what the man the man the the champion of sort of sort of b-grade action vehicles and just Taken it so seriously. I I looked, I did a due diligence. I swear I remember reading at some point a critic who wrote that Jason Statham is essentially the like the Shakespeare Shakespearean actor of action films. Like just that's that's exactly the you know, it, the, the training, the tone, just just, you know, firing on all cylinders. And I think what didn't he get his start in sort of like Guy Male Ritchie modeling. movies? Male <laughs> like, modeling, but it was like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yes, with Guy right? Ritchie. Yes, yeah. yes, which is this, a great movie. Yes, there is yeah. an extreme Britishness to him that I don't think you could 
cast out of him. Like I, it's and he pop, he popped up in a lot of random stuff. He was in yeah. that Ghosts of Mars, uh, what? John Carpenter movie. Oh. Like he's always like the soldier or the subordinate. I think he's in that Italian Job remake. Uh, yes, he's in the Italian Job remake. Um, he did Spy with Melissa McCarthy. Well, that's much much later. He's it's satirizing la- yes, his whole career. He is, and it's so good. That's some good camp. <laughs> it's it's yes. Um, but I wanted really, to, really do good. you remember the first time you saw Jason Statham? No, I don't. for me, it was, um, speaking of sequels, it was for me, it got a weird promotional push. And I guess me and my dad didn't have much else going on. And it was Transporter 2. Oh. We went and saw Transporter 2. And I don't know if you've seen Transporter 2. Mm. Transporter 2 is another very good, campy action movie that has a little bit of a Jackie Chan influence, a very French influence, hmm. um, uh, produced, I think, by Luc Besson, or Luc Besson is involved. Oh, There's maybe. a lot of French okay. influence. So there's French money in there. I believe so. And uh, But he does like a great fight scene with like in a Jackie Chan way with like um, uh, a hose. Hmm. Um, and But it's also ridiculous. Like there's a woman with like, this is my, this is my you know, my... What I'm attracted to, but there's like a woman with a short blonde haircut who has eyeshadow that's like leaking, and she has Uzis in like a doctor's <laughs> office, and he has to jump a car from one building to another. Like they're taking the transporter idea, which essentially is him just driving a car, and uh, they expand on it from the first movie, which I had not seen. And I remember watching Transporter Two and being like, "This guy, this J- there's something <laughs> Jason, about this guy. There's something about this guy because he's doing. He's a very." You know, very physical. You know, he's doing oh, yeah. all his stunts and yep, yep. he's trained and mm-hmm. and very stoic. And yes. he, he's also on a short list of men who make uh, male pattern baldness uh, uh, selling it. Him and like Bruce Pat- Willis, Patrick and Stewart, Patrick Stewart, uh, Jack Nicholson. It's like a very oh, short yeah. list of yeah. people who who can sell it, and he does a very good job. Transporter three, not that this matters, is not good oh. at all. Transporter one's pretty good. Transporter two is better. Transport three, not so good. Okay. Um, but I have not looked at any most of Jason Sasem's filmography post Crank. I think Crank is the zenith of him. Mm. Um, I don't know how many of these, like the mechanic, or he shows up in those Fast and Furious movies. Oh yeah, the Fast. I guess there's a new one of those. He's he's in that. He's in the new one. Yeah, he shows up. He's in the Expendables. Yes, the Expendables franchise. Um, what what is your affiliation with Jason? I just, I don't know. I saw this movie. That's the only Jason Statham I've seen, movies. I, I've seen Spy. Okay. So I sort of went straight to the self-parody. <laughs> well, he is great in Spy. It's probably one of the best things Spy about Spy. All, yeah. Well, yes. Spy itself, I think, is a an underrated movie. But what um, I guess the overwhelming was there any specific notes that you took while watching Crank Two High Voltage that you would like to share with the class? Uh, <laughs> except that apparently, like you may have been fifteen years old, but my husband was closer to thirty-five, and it still made. Exactly the same impression, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's it it's it knows it, it, it in does. The exploitation, it knows exactly what it is. It knows what it is. Everyone is absolutely stoked to be involved. Yes, um, they are clearly having a fantastic time. And um, Neville and Taylor, in general, I think that they have that quality with a lot of their work. Um, even if some of it's better than others, I don't know if we want to get into their stuff. Um, I wanted to mention Ghost Rider 2. Ah, right. Spirit of Vengeance. Deeply underrated film. Classic. Extremely campy as well. Oh, God. Uh, Nicolas Cage now. Yeah, in in camp mode. My love of that movie, I think, like it's trying to be a guilty pleasure movie. 
<laughs> and a lot of people don't get on board for it because mm-hmm. uh, it's maybe trying a little bit too hard. But mm-hmm. it's got a drunk priest played by Idris Elba. <laughs> it's got Nicolas Cage. It's got <laughs> skeletons. Um, someone described leaving the theater for Ghost Rider 2 and uh, like a 13-year-old boy said like after he was leaving the theater, like, it was awesome. I saw Ghost Rider 2. It was awesome. So there's like, it's shot in Cappadocia randomly. Not that it has any bearing on anything. Um, but it's kind of cool to see Cappadocia and Nicolas Cage wandering around a cave freaking Mm -hmm. out because he's a skeleton (laughs) man. Um, Good special effects for the skeleton. But um, they made that movie Mm -hmm. um, and they just do, They we looked at what they've done recently uh, or at least they've gone off and done separately. I don't know which one Neville Dean or Taylor did Mom and Dad with Nicolas Cage, which is about parents murdering their children, which looks kind of fun. Uh, in like a fun way, and then uh, the TV show, um, what was it? Uh, Happy, ah, which is like uh, Patton Oswalt as a talking unicorn um, in a otherwise gritty crime narrative. So I, I, I think I wanted to call out their directing specifically because mm-hmm. I think it creates this atmosphere of fun. First yes. of all, this adolescent atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But they, they're really ingenious about how they film things. Yes. They're the little montage sequences that sort of emphasize movement and, and re- like literally get characters where they need to be for the next ridiculous thing to be happening. Um, yeah. That's, uh, bringing in the video game aesthetic. This was, this was yes. my husband's um, big line about it. Well, it, it. It brings in this video game aesthetic and it's the first film to do this. Like I said, I don't think it's the first film to do that. But, but it okay, does it incorporates it in a way that is memorable yes. and relates to what it's about. Um, I like the fact that they just use Google Maps as like the transition and it just Sometimes. has Google Maps in the corner of the screen. So low, lo-fi. Um, but yeah. the other thing, they use a lot of consumer grade like like camcorders and then they actually mm-hmm. break them in the stunts. So they like the camera will shoot out of the car that's crashing and then they will grab the footage and replace the camera. Everything kind of has this kind of kind of grimy lo-fi look to it well i have a question i have a question for you yeah do they honestly still have working pay phones in 2009 (laughs) los angeles how would i know that colleen i'm just what do you think because i'm looking at this going i would think that they that it exists but it doesn't work yeah they're still part of the landscape. Yes. The fact that they can just go up to whatever payphone and actually call somebody, I'm thinking, I don't believe this for a second. It's more unbelievable <laughs> than a, a electrically transferring heart. Um, it's, yeah, took me out of the movie a little bit. Yeah, I'm know. so, I'm so sorry. The verisimilitude was just shattered. <laughs> it was so realistic up until that point. Yes, along with my innocence. Um <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, what was I talking about? I don't know. Jason Statham uh, muttering, where's my box? is pretty great on like five Where's my levels. cherry tart? <laughs> he says, and the guy's like, what are you talking about? And he points at his heart. Um, oh, man. Can we talk about the horse racing scene? You go right ahead. I know. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I mean, I mentioned it. Yeah, yeah. To me, that's like the camp, um, the zenith of the camp of... Um, he has to get his heart rate up. It is. Uh, it's, in the first movie, he, he has sex with Amy Smart in public because it's what you do to get your heart rate up, apparently. apparently. And then in this one, she knows, she says, I know what to do in this situation because yeah. it's a sequel. <laughs> and it's it, initially she's grinding up against him because that's mm-hmm. the whole electricity thing. And then inexplicably, they start having sex in the middle of a horse race. 
And what I love about it is everyone's cheering. <laughs> if they're and on the track. I they're mean, on the track. It's not just in the middle of the race. They end up rolling into the track. And a bunch of people are in the stands and they're cheering and someone throws them a cowboy hat. Yes. And I think this is the Gremlins 2 connection, if I can bring it. It's this acknowledgement of the audience mm. as well. So the audience is cheering. Mm-hmm. We're cheering. <laughs> Just say something. You and my husband are cheering. Everyone's cheering. <laughs> and then she sees a horse penis. Um, and that maybe is where that's the exclamation point at the end of the scene. I think it's the like the midpoint of the movie almost exactly. And well. then after that, the movie doesn't really know where to go. No, you've you've. That's yeah, but it is this meta. It is this over the top meta acknowledgement. There's we were talking about like absurd comedy, mm-hmm. um, and a meta acknowledgement of this stuff. Did you ever see Rubber the Quentin de Perot, the du Peru du Peru Rubber um, Rubber? No, I he haven't did a seen movie. The whole part of that is there's people watching the sentient tire murder people <laughs> from like binoculars, and they're like, oh, I wonder what this tire is going to do next, <laughs> like. I think that in Gremlins 2, it's this, yeah, it's this acknowledgement that you're watching a sequel to Gremlins, like the bringing in the audience to the absurdity. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's inherently camp, but that is something that Crank 2 does. And to get to the very end of Crank 2, what I love about the ending is it's just literally <laughs> Jason Statham on fire, <laughs> flipping off the audience, yeah. screaming. <laughs> and that, that's, that's the movie. And you wanted a sequel. No, to be honest, I don't. I yeah, think that's, that's perfect. That's, yep, that's, it's hard to know where to go from there. Yep. Like, I think fire catches on his middle finger. It's not, I think something like that, yeah. And it's, and it, it, it's it's just like, I see you, audience. It's This is ridiculous. Are you having a good time? And for me, at least, with Crank 2, you know, no matter how offensive it can be or, or juvenile or stupid, it, I, did ha- I do have a good time. I do have a good time. Yeah, I can see why. Did you did you have a good I was worried that you would be horribly offended. I knew it wasn't going to be like a funny game situation, but No. No. Um did you have a it's weird to compare funny games to crank too, but did yep. you did yeah. you have a did you enjoy yourself at I, least in I, part? I, I mean, I I could see with the hullab- I, I I enjoyed watching my husband watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think more than I enjoyed the film itself. Do you have any like um, academic commentary or insight that you want to bring on on Crank 2 High Voltage? Yes. Um I want to also mention Mike Patton who does the the soundtrack? Did you enjoy the soundtrack? This yes. kind of over the top. It was. Um, he's apparently the singer or the musician in Faith No More. Oh, that's a throwback! Wow. Okay. And I know him. He does the voice of the darkness in the Darkness video game, which involves his very sort of I see reptilian oh, okay. voice. And he, uh, he so he's he, gone into voice acting, basically. Yeah. Oh. Um, I guess he would be the singer if he's known for. For that, okay, or musician, or yeah. songwriter, yeah, they, um, a lot of musicians just sort of in cameos, which I yeah, yeah, always maybe. love to see. So many different references to other movies. Yeah, the, so you, many. You like the King? He Kong. looked like the fellow from the movies, Train Spotting. Oh, okay, I missed that. Was okay. one. Um, of course, I think meaning Ewan McGregor, but also it's a confusion for Transporter, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the timeline is for that. Um, Die Hard with a Vengeance is mentioned in like the first five lines of dialogue somehow. Oh, he, the he, bodyguard. Ba, like Ba-Ling, the Ba-Ling is, like, she's like, you're my, Kevin yeah, you're my Kevin Costner and the bodyguard. It's like Statham gets to sort of stand in for all of these heroes other than himself, which is, I mean, it's, 
it's making the subtext text here. It's pointing to this. What do you think of his legacy. performance, by the way? Statham? Like, yeah, I think he's nailing it. Oh, of course. Okay. Not yeah. in a divine esque way, but he just is, he's the rock that he, holds. Yes. He has to maintain a straight face for yeah, all of this. He's and the once you get man, to yeah. the once you get to the blooper reel in the credits, you can see what it looks like when he does lose it. Yeah. And I think and that only underscores the work that he's putting into yeah, it yeah. in a sense. Like, I mean, so it's a very effective inclusion of these bloopers because it it, it, it does. It just shows like yeah, that he he knows and <laughs> has to overcome yes, it yes. and treat it seriously so that we end up yeah. Kind of engaging with it in the way that we're supposed to. I wonder if there was ever a blooper for um, uh, uh, polyester, what that would look like. I don't. Can you do? That's the thing for that kind of camp. I don't think yeah. you could do bloopers. But there's a there's a great. It's not. I think it's, yeah, it's uh, called bloopers, but in a similar way, if you look at the hot fuzz mm. bloopers, which is in a similar <gasps> like straight faced uh, Nicholas Angel. Yeah. Um, Simon Pegg is the straight faced. So great. Hot fuzz is fantastic. <laughs> But if you look at behind the scenes, Simon Pegg is working so hard to not laugh. He is, because that's not his character, and he knows what movie he's in, and it's very similar, like, no, I have to I have to furrow my brow, I have to be this person, but everything around me, Edgar Wright is over here cracking jokes, <laughs> Nick Frost over here cracking jokes, I have to, I have to do he's it. He's a professional. I have to do it. <laughs> and Simon Pegg is a goofy guy anyway. Yes. So it's nice to see, yeah, I'm happy to see in the bloopers Jason Statham cutting loose and it's mm-hmm. same with spy as well yeah where you get to see him having fun with him with his persona mm. um i'll say the remediation aesthetics in this movie are really something having written myself on remediation oh, in yeah. other films there's a lot going on with the remediation besides video the, the video game stuff yeah. um there's the sort of um exploitation maury povich style television show um that you know that that, that goes on that's I think a pretty good rip off of what that is. Polyester with the like well, not not necessarily remediation but like the art house drive-in theater oh, that's, with the oysters and things. Yeah. yeah. In, yeah. Meta m- movie references, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's reading a copy of Cahiers de Cinema. <laughs> yes. And she's like, "What is this?" It <laughs> yeah. says like Cahiers de Cinema 973 or something. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's like a that's like yep. a Pee Wee Herman-esque. It joke. is. Yeah, 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 it is. But it's it's also like proof that okay, Waters actually does watch these movies. <laughs> You know, like, we we anyway. That's um yeah. But we saw his um Criterion collection, yes. Um closet visit video, which is up online, and it was he went from the Blob to Fellini, and of course, then he talks David about Lynch. watching Fellini on acid. So. <laughs> what a surprise! What a surprise! And then yes, uh, David Lynch, of course, um, is one of his. Picks. What was it's just... not, you enjoyed the King Kong bit in terms of the movie references? That's not. The, in uh, Crank 2. Two cra- oh, the puppets. Yeah, the Godzilla. Yes. Uh, just that that I did find very, very clever. imaginative, yeah. well done, committed to the remediation of these aesthetics like in a you know, fairly authentic kind of way. And it's those moments that make you recontextualize it like, okay, yeah, they, they're they're really going for it here. Yeah. They're not resting on their laurels making trash. No, even though... and I mean, they got $20 million to do it, yeah. so they spent it on that kind of stuff, which I think is a yeah. decent investment. Buying yeah, a lot of cameras. Great. Like, the, like the, the Chad chin that he's got. Yes, yes, it's a ridiculous Jason Statham <laughs> uh, mask. Yeah. I mean, it's not a puppet. I think it's a dude in a... 
Oh, maybe. In a suit, yeah, very much akin with, yeah, to like Godzilla or yeah, King Kong. Yeah, but the, the puppet aesthetic anyway. Yeah, it was... Thank you, Wickham. <laughs> you're welcome. I'm so happy to oblige. I should say to any students listening to this, if you're going to rush out and watch Crank 2, understand, you know, frame of it mind. It was a different time. It was time. a different time. I do think that, again, it sticks in my head. You know, it's, it is it is an anomaly. It is a weird thing that exists. And and no one has really approached it since, maybe because of the financial uh, disregard. I, I do think it has a bit of a cult status. Um, it doesn't have. It's not going to get a Criterion release, let's say, like no. polyester. Um, no. I wonder what John Waters would think of Crank Two. Um, I wonder how. I, I wonder what he thinks of action movies in yeah. general. I don't think that's a genre that he would go in for so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his points of social critique the lie family, elsewhere. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the rottenness of suburbia, which is always just under the surface anyway, and he's yes. literally covering it with polyester to sort of prevent the rot but that's already <laughs> a compromised material <laughs> yeah so it's yeah this is this is more for entertainment than any crank two is more for entertainment than anything else but, but i think john waters is going for whole on criticism and and it's right there at the surface but it's also but again, deeply entertaining <laughs> well the, the camp aesthetic maybe yeah and i don't remember if Sontag gets into this but like it is the the facade of it is the it's that is the the substance right it becomes the substance yeah i mean you you decouple the surface from any sort of need to be symbolic of anything else and it's just surface playing with itself and that and that can be of itself and there's a lot you can do with that right yeah but it it takes a different kind of sensibility and usually a queer sensibility which Mm -hmm. is something that we didn't really get into we got into that with jupiter ascending because we were talking about um, LGBTQ plus rec- representations for that episode. Um, but yeah, but camp is understood to be generally a queer aesthetic. Yes. Um, and also a queer mode of reception. Um, that isn't to say that it's necessarily queer in its sexuality, which I think is a really important point to make. Um, and so- I wonder if Steimer was reflecting on that um, with the the wedding photos specifically, like usually these these heterosexual couples. Yeah, I mean, just queerness doesn't have to have anything to do with sexuality necessarily. Right, that's right, right. already something like it's 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 a. I mean, queer just means different, right? I mean, strange. It's a, it's an alternative understanding of the world, right? And so um, it doesn't have to be queer in a sexual way, although there's a lot of you know, queerness itself. You know, drag is itself yeah. that kind of thing, you know, and the way that drag is represented in Waters, of course, like we get into Rocky all Horror kinds Picture of, Show. Yeah. Yes, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, but even Crank, too, which is an extremely like heterosexual movie in a whole lot of ways, Um has these elements of queerness. Like, I mean, yeah. as I was telling you, it, it, it feels like watching these two movies so close to one another um, or, you know, just sort of talking about them next to each other like we are. Um, it's like there are two different ways of destroying the bourgeois family. One <laughs> is by casting the mother as divine and the other is by uh, just, you know, openly having intercourse in the middle of a racetrack. <laughs> Cutting yes. to the horse, uh, horse's undercarriage as it jumps over Amy Smart. I mean, you know what? Like that's that's that, the American family. It, it can be equally destructive yeah. ultimately. Um, so that is also uh, a form of queer. They have a very healthy relationship. I don't know what you're. I think it's very sweet. It's very loving. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
says the guy in the red hot pants and electrical tape. <laughs> well, you don't have to talk about what I'm wearing. In the con- No one can see this. It's <laughs> my Amy Smart in- cosplay. <laughs> I can dress up how I want. No one would get that reference, probably. I think you, you yeah. underestimate the... I, I, I think people would get that reference. Well, Jeff Chelios I, I just is like... I would love to see you try. He just has an exposed chest and he's got a scar down the middle. I know he has the... I think he's the only person. He and Amy Smart maybe are the only people in that movie with no tattoos. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like the scars don't count. I mean, Chris Statham's got the scars from all Maybe the things. head and the jar. Does he have a tattoo uh, on his maybe head? Maybe not. I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> not to spoil that. No, but yeah, anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm happy. We we, we had a fun time. <laughs> uh, camp is fun. Fun time at the movies. Purveyors of camp. Yes. Um, let's, let's have more camp, everyone. Put put a, do- a dash, a sprinkling, uh, a, a dash of whipped cream of camp, camp in your movies. Camp for your summer. Yes. Yes. We could use more of it. Yes. That is our episode. You Made Me Watch That is a production of the Department of Communication and Design at Beale Kent University. You can support the podcast by subscribing with your favorite audio app and by following the Beale Kent Cinema Society on Instagram at Beale Kent Cinema. Our cover art was designed by Denis Vadi Tongor. Our weekly thumbnails are designed by Tylan Uckle. Our theme music was composed by Dazi And make sure to check out his new album, Sankibir, available now on Spotify. This episode was produced by Tylan Uckle and the Beale Kent Cinema Society, recorded by our own friend, Asya Tulu. Thank you, Asya. Uh, with extra Tashekirler to our tech wrangler, Özcan Akar. Do you have any special thanks for this episode? I was going to turn it over to you. For me. Partially because I can't think of anything to match the <laughs> pure genius of this episode. But um, do you have any other examples of camp that you would like to shout out? Um, I would I would just like to say thank you to the city of Baltimore. Um, for, <laughs> As being for the capital being, of camp? Well, that's that's John Waters' lifetime home, I guess. And, and that's where he ends up encountering most of the people, people he puts in his movies. Um, so stay weird, Baltimore. Um, have you been to Baltimore? No, I'm it's assuming neat, it's people like this. Are, Edgar yeah. Allan Poe is also uh, buried in Baltimore. Uh, probably if you went to L.A. or if you went to Baltimore, you wouldn't have these encounters with these types of people probably yeah, in the yeah, same way. Yeah. That would be a, it's a less interesting world to live in. Frankly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you, Wicker. Thank you, Colin.